we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to hit a few highlights of, of some things. But we're really going to just focus in on this Easter message. And here's how it starts. We just talked about it as we were taking communion. It starts with the fact that we need, we need help. As, as, as mankind, sin entered the world. The Bible says through one man, sin entered the world through Adam. But then through Jesus, he, he, he conquered that, defeated that. So now we have life through one man. So sin, which leads to death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So when sin entered the world, death entered. That's the price for sin. And the reason why I wanted to just be simple a little bit with this gospel message is because here's what I'm finding out. The, the, the more we go through scripture, the more we go or through society talking about scripture, the more you're seeing a little bit of make it fit to what we want to believe. And I don't, I don't always think it's intentional, but I think sometimes we look at the scripture and we judge it by what, you know, we judge the scripture by what we are going through and what we experience instead of letting the scripture be the judge. And so we define our lives with scripture. We don't define scripture by our life. We define our life by scripture. And here's, here's, here's the reality of it. Is there are people today that don't know the true gospel. The true gospel is that sin entered the world and death entered the world. And for every one of us, we were on a path of destruction and death. That's the consequences of sin. And because of that, God saw and God knew. And here's what he did. He didn't try to get us to get better, behave better. What he said is, you know what? The price for sin is death. So death has to be paid. Because sin was there, it had to be paid, right? If you, if you go to the store and you want to take something out of the store legally, you have to pay for it. For you to have possession of it, it has to be paid for. So what Jesus did, what God did is he sent Jesus to pay our debt. What we, what we couldn't do and to become righteous, we couldn't do it. Because all of us, is anyone in here never sinned? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Because if you did, then you just said, then I was going to point that out. Um, but here's the, here's the reality. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 it says this, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Now, this is in performance type, okay? We're going to get to the part that we are good because of Jesus. We're going to get to that part, so don't, don't start judging yet, okay? Ephesians, Ecclesiastes, no one's good. Romans chapter 3, let's go to Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Or no, just go there, that's good. For everyone had sinned, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the God's glorious standard. All of us have. And we're going to get to that next part of that verse in a minute. But right now, I'm just pointing out that without God, without Jesus, we were in trouble. We were in trouble. 
But God's love, John 3.16, is one of the verses that is quoted all the time, very famous verse that's quoted. But it says this, this is how God loved us, that he gave his one and only son. So everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So God says, listen, you owe this debt, and you can't pay it, and I'm going to pay it for you. Why? Because I love you. God so loved the world. The gospel message is about God's love. It's, listen, it's not the gospel to tell people, hey, you're going to hell. You need to turn or burn. That is not the gospel message. The gospel message is you don't have to because God paid a way for you. That's the gospel that God has great things for you and he has a plan for you and he has a purpose for you. And all you have to do is surrender your life to him. But the true gospel is Jesus died and rose again for you so you could have eternal life. That's why he sent Jesus. He sent him so whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Can I just be honest with you? Whoever believes in him. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Not being a good person, not going to church every Sunday, not doing all the right things, receiving Jesus is your ticket to heaven. That's it. There's no other way for you to be saved. You know, the Bible is very clear. There's going to be people that say, I did this in your name, and I did this, and I did this. And he's going to say, depart from me. I, I never really, I never knew you. We never, we weren't in relationship. See, that's, that's the part where God says, look, I, I've, given, I've given you everything. I've given you Jesus. And you receive Jesus. You believe in him. And you will have eternal life. You will not perish. You have eternal life. It's only, it's only through Jesus. So Jesus, this is what he did. He came. Look at Matthew 20, verse 28. It says that even the Son of Man, talking to Jesus, he didn't come to be served but to serve others and to do what? Give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life. Give it. John 15 says, greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than someone who will lay down their life. None. I'll, I'll, I'll say this quick, but I'm not going to go into great detail. You can ask me about it later. Some of you have been here a while, you've heard this. But when I was in fifth grade, I saved the little boy's life. I was a safety patrol. Boy ran in front of the road. I got him. Threw him back, car went spinning around, crossing guard came running over, told me what happened. I didn't realize it all happened so fast. I started crying because it wasn't like I really thought about saving him. It just happened. If I'd have thought that car could hit me, no. Sorry, buddy. You're on your own. But, but it happened so fast. I pulled him out of the road, and, and the crossing guard came over and told me, and then I, I went home and I called my mom because we were at home by ourselves because both my parents worked. And I got home and I called my mom. I said, Mom, and I'm crying hysterically. I said, what's the matter? What's the matter? I just saved a boy's life. And she's like, what? So the crossing guard came to our house. Here's a long story. I got awards from anybody and everybody. 
the school honored me in an assembly. They gave me a gold badge to go with my regular patrol badge, the you know, orange safety belt, you're right? And uh, so I got this badge, and then, then I ended up getting honored by the AAA. The PTA, they honored me. Then the mayor gave me a key to the city. I was like, I never found the door, but I have the key. Okay, so one day I'll be able to unlock Tampa, one day. But I had the key to the city. I'm on the news. I was on a talk show. I mean, it was a big deal. Word got out. And then all of a sudden I got this uh, letter to go to the governor's mansion in Tallahassee. I went and met the governor, and uh, we went through the governor's mansion and the governor's office stuff or whatever was there. And uh, so I got this reward. I mean, I was getting all kinds of awards. And I was like, check me out, man. And I was, I was fifth grade. I didn't know what to say when they would interview me. So what did I do? My dad gave me a nice Christian line to say. Son, just say that you thought of them more than you thought of yourself. So every time I'm interviewed, I just thought of him more than I did myself. They're like, what a great young man. I'm like, is that right, dad? Is that right? Okay. <laughs> that's basically how it was, right? Because I didn't think at all. It just happened. Um, so then, a little time passes, and then here was the weird part. This is all true. I have stuff to prove it. But I got, a, I, got an, I got a letter from President Ronald Reagan that I was chosen to be one of five national heroes to be honored at Washington, D.C. Stayed in the Capitol Hill limousine ride to the White House, had breakfast in the Capitol. Uh, everything was on the news. I was one of five national heroes. They, you know, I got a flag from the Capitol. I have a congressional record. I don't, I don't really know what that is. It's different than a criminal record. Okay. <laughs> have one of those too, but no, I'm just kidding. I don't. Uh, congressional record. So I got all these recognitions. I, got, I, I was like, wow. Now, fast forward. I'm in Bible college. Okay, all that happened. That's fifth grade. Fast forward to Bible college. You know what happened to me? I'm studying for a message. I'm reading about what Jesus did for me. And I'm studying, and, and I'm thinking about, you know, that how I put my life on the line. And then it hit me that of all the stuff I got, I never got a thank you or anything from the kid I saved. Now, I'm a freshman in Bible college, Bible college, and now I'm angry. I'm angry at something that happened, you know, 10 years ago, and I'm mad. I mean, I'm literally mad. I mean, I'm just like, that's, what? I should have just pushed them further in. I mean, ain't going to be grateful. I mean, I'm just literally angry on the inside. And I'm processing in my head, why am I so angry? And it was almost like this gentle whisper, almost like, it was almost like the Spirit of God said to me, I know how you feel. But the difference is I actually gave my life. And you just go on and you know what? How often do you stop and realize what I did for you? And it, it wrecked me. And from that day forward, I made a commitment to the Lord. God, I never want to forget what you went through for me. He suffered. Listen, I didn't get hit. I didn't get hurt. Jesus suffered for me. He suffered for you. He was, he was beat. 
And he was whipped with this whip that just ripped his flesh open every time it touched him. He was spit on. He, was, he had a crown of thorns slammed down on his head. And then it says they, they beat him with their hands. They were punching him. Isaiah talks about the fact that sometimes you could even hardly recognize him. And Jesus is going through all this suffering and all this pain. Why? So you could live. That's, that's the gospel. That Jesus took it. So you could live. And how often, how often do we go about our life and we're like that, we're like what I was feeling like, you know, did he even understand? Like, why, why wasn't he grateful? Like, I don't understand you know, all these other people didn't even affect him, and they're grateful, but why not? Can I tell you, at some point, when you get a revelation of what Jesus did for you, you're going to realize, God, forgive me. What you went through so I could live? When I fail you and I mess up and I can't even do everything right all the time, and you still watch your son Get annihilated and his flesh ripped open. And you did it because you loved me. Wow. I don't ever want to forget that. Because that just lets me know, man, I am that loved. Are you kidding me? I'm that loved that Jesus would go through that? And the answer is yes. You are. You know how I know that? Because in Hebrews 12, and I know I'm going out of order. If you don't find it, I'll just quote it. But Hebrews 12, too, it says this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know what that means? You know what that joy was? It was you. He endured because he knew what it was going to do for you. He knew it was going to bring you life. He knew it was going to give you hope. So he said, look, I'll, I'm going to go through it. Because I know that my pain and my hurt and my suffering is just for a moment. But when I go through this and this, when this is all done, I'm no longer going to be the only son. Now I'm going to have brothers and sisters who, who now are in the family of God. I'm going to have people that are connected with the Father. Because when Jesus breathed his last breath, it says in Matthew 27, I believe, that the veil that separated the presence of God from ordinary people was torn from the top to the bottom. Nobody ripped it. It just tore. Why? Because there's no more need for separation. Now you and I can boldly come to the presence of God and to the throne of God for anything that we need, for anything we desire. We can come with confidence that he loves us and that he cares for us. And how did that happen? Because Jesus said the only way to get you to my father is someone's got to pay the penalty of death. And Jesus said, you know what? God said to Jesus, listen, go pay it for them. They can't do it. Go pay it. God, what Jesus was perfect. He was perfect. And he paid it. We have so much to be thankful for. And we miss it. We miss it. Listen, Easter is not about, you know, and I know we had a bunny greeter, and I know we're having Easter eggs out there with the kids, and those are fine. But I'm telling you, that's not what it's about. What it's about is a God in heaven who said, look at them. They're struggling. 
hurting. They're messed up and they're never going to be able to make it. They're not going to be able to get to me. So I'm going to go to them. And I'm going to pay for their stuff. That's like Jesus saying in the natural today, hey, y'all, this one's on me. That sin, that death, that pain, it's on me. I got you. I got you. That's the gospel, that God loves you, that he's in Jesus, and Jesus paid it. He came and he took it. He suffered. And even in the suffering, this is, this is something I thought was interesting. Go to Matthew chapter 26. It'll be on the screen. I'll just read it to you. But <clears throat> here's what it says in verse 36. This is right after the Last Supper. And he's telling them about what's going to happen. And then this is also when Peter is like, oh, this is going to, you know, I'll be there for you, Jesus. And, and, and Jesus even tells Peter he was going to deny him. And he's like, no, if everyone deserts you, I'll be there for you. But here's what happened. Jesus went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. Then it says this, he became anguished and distressed. And he took them, he told them, he said, look, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And then he asked them, he says, look, stay here with me. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little further and bowed his face to the ground praying. Here's what he said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So here's what Jesus is saying. Ultimately, he knows it's gonna, he's going to suffer. He knows that. And, he, and this is what I find interesting is that Jesus, knowing of the suffering and the difficulty ahead, that he asked these people around him, these disciples, hey, especially James and John, Peter, will you, will you keep watch with me and pray? In other words... It's going to be a tough road. Keep watching. Pray with me. And then he goes and he, and he recognizes, and you can, you can hear it, this cup of suffering. And in the verse before it said he was anguished, and he was, he was hurt, and he knew. And none of it, yet none of it stopped him. He said, God, I know, I know your plan. And that's what I want. And, if, and this is the road that it's going to be, and I'm in. And he was willing to go through the suffering. He acknowledged it. He was real about it. But he didn't let it stop him. And he went through it. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. And that's, that's what the gospel is about. Now, here's just a few things that we're going to hit. We're going to talk about these more about how we can do this, but I want to just hit a couple of things real quick when it comes to the gospel message and how Jesus handled suffering and understanding. I told you the fact of how he was beaten and whipped, flesh torn open, just mutilated in some ways. Just 
extreme pain. And they nailed him to a cross. Spikes in his hands and in his feet. To even, to even breathe, he has to kind of push up on the nail that's in his foot, in his feet. Every time he wants to even breathe. You want to talk about someone who's in excruciating pain? That's, that was Jesus. Yet it says this, that when he was on the cross, go to uh, Luke 23, verse 32 and through 34. Two other criminals, they were on the cross on each side of them. There was two criminals, and they were going to be executed with them. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. The criminals were also crucified, one on his right, the other on his left. And then listen to Jesus. In the midst of all of his suffering, in the midst of all this bloodshed, in the midst of all this agony, he literally says this, Father, will you forgive them? They don't even know what they're doing. Are you serious? You want to talk about a God who is a loving God and a Jesus who shows that, that in the midst of suffering, the very people, the very people he's talking about are people that have nailed him to the cross, the people that have beat him, his, his disciples have deserted him. The crowd who once was for him turned against him. And in all the mistreatment that he's got, what he says is, Father, forgive him. This is how I know that he's a loving God because it just oozes out of him. Listen, I don't, it doesn't matter what someone goes through. I've told you this before, but if you take a sponge and you squeeze it as hard as you can, the only thing coming out of it is what was in it. So you know what came out of Jesus on the cross? The same thing that took him to the cross. Love. Just flowed out of him. And he offered forgiveness. And guess what he offers us today? The same forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. It says that God, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And not just forgive us, but cleanse us. Of all unrighteousness. Look at 1 John 2, verse 12. I'm writing you this because if you are God's children, because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. In other words, he just didn't forgive them, but because of what he went through, you're forgiven. He's forgiven you. That's the gospel. You're forgiven. Past, present, and future. Well, pastor, how could he forgive my future sins? You weren't even alive when he did it. All your sins to him are future. Yet he paid for them. Because he's loving and love just oozes out of him. What else did he do? These two criminals, the one started mocking them. The one's like, oh, if you're, if you're really God, then why don't you save yourself? And the other one, if you go to... Verse 39 through 43 of that same chapter, it says one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. Oh, you're the Messiah, or you prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. 
But the other criminal protesters said, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. See, I think he, this criminal is recognizing, what in the world? Like he's done nothing wrong. He's forgiving people. And this other criminal is trying to, hey, kind of get me out of here, man. Save you and me. And he's like, this guy did anything wrong. There's no reason for him to be here as far as his own actions. And then Jesus says, or he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, he calls out to Jesus. And here's what Jesus says to him. I assure you. In other words, you can count on this little buddy. Today, you'll be with me. Listen, that criminal didn't do one thing for God. He didn't do one thing. He didn't live right. You can't even try to come up with something he did. He called out to Jesus. Yeah, okay, but no work, no spiritual work, no, no perfect thing that he could do to try to earn anything. He fasted the last few minutes because he was on the cross. He couldn't eat. Okay, you could come up with whatever. But the bottom line is he had done nothing to earn anything. And just by him calling out to Jesus, this is what happened. He said, man, I hear you. And today I'm going to save you. You're going to be with me. See, that's hope. Jesus, hope comes out of Jesus because he's a loving God. And it flows out and it comes to, it comes to this criminal. And he has hope. And God's given us hope. Look at this. 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God, Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We have living hope. Colossians 1.27, that it says it's Christ in us that is the hope of all glory. Because of Christ, we have hope. Here's another thing Jesus did on the cross when I say love oozes out of him. You can put the scripture up in John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the, disciples, he, beside the disciple he loved, referring to John, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And, then, and from then on the disciple took her into his home. Listen, Jesus is on the cross and he is in extreme pain and he is suffering and he's already forgiven someone. He's, given, he's forgiven people. He's given people hope. And he looks down and could you imagine, could you imagine as a parent? I can't even imagine. You're watching your son bleed. You're seeing blood just drop and drop and drop. You're seeing these holes in his hands and his holes in his feet. You're seeing them grasp for air. You're seeing them spit on and beat up. You see people mock him and make fun of him. He's in this worst physical condition imaginable. And Mary said there, because remember in Luke chapter 2, there was a prophecy that came to Jesus. I have actually have it up there in Luke 2. And here's what the prophecy says, Simon blessed him, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, the child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others, talking about Jesus. He'll be sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. But as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be, will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. 
In other words, Mary, there's going to be a moment where you are hurting because of what you're going to see. And she sees it. And here's Jesus who can barely breathe. And he says, hey, John, take care of my mom. Mom, be there for John. That's crazy. To me, when I'm hurting, I don't think about nobody. Think I'm less spiritual, but you don't either. I'm sick. If I'm not feeling good, I just like, just something to help me. I'm a baby when I'm sick, when I'm struggling. I, I, I have a hard time thinking about everybody else sometimes. But that just, that just came right out of Jesus. He sees his mom who's crushed. He's like, John, will you take care of her? And John did for the rest of his life. John took care of her. Why? Because Jesus loved them and was showing love and showed compassion and showed that he was still thinking about other people. And you know what? Jesus still thinks about us. Today, he still thinks about us. Look at Psalms 139, verse 17 and 18. It says, these are, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. He thinks good things about me. They can't be numbered. They cannot be numbered. I, I can even count them. They're out, they outnumber the grains of sand. That's how much God's thoughts are towards us. That's how much. You want to talk about a God that loves you? Hopefully you're seeing it. Because this is the gospel. This is what Jesus did. This is how his life was lived for you in these moments of suffering. In John 19, 28 through 30, here's what Jesus says. He knew that his mission had now been finished. He had fulfilled. He had overcome. He had, he, had, he had carried the weight. There was one time on there where he says, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? In other words, he's feeling the weight of all of our sin. All of our stuff. Isaiah 53 talks about it, that he carried our stuff. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He carried it on him. That's, that's what he went through for us. And after he does all of this, he says, it's finished. He completed the work, fulfilled the scriptures, said, I'm, thir- I'm thirsty, and then go to the next verse. They gave him a jar of sour wine sitting there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted, he said, it's finished. Then he bowed his head and released the spirit. Can I tell you something about God? He completes things. And Jesus completed the work that God sent him to do. And today God is still a completing God. And in Philippians 1 verse 6, here's what it says. Paul says this, I'm certain that God who begins a good work, even in you, will continue it until it's finally finished. God is all about completion. And this process, wherever you're at in your life, the process he says, you want to tell you, the God we serve will complete it all the way through to the end. All the way through. And you know what? He completed the prophecy. Because here's what happened. He rose from the dead. When he gave up his life, he gave his life up. They didn't take it. He gave it. 
And then he went in the grave. And as we sang, it was a borrowed grave because he only needed it for three days. Then I love this, this passage, and we'll, we'll wrap up here. John chapter 20. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Isn't that pretty interesting? This is what I find interesting. John is the only one who refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. You want to know my opinion on it? Good, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> John was the only one at, at the crucifixion. And I imagine while John is standing there, he's like, there's no greater love. He, he really does love me. Like, he really does. Look what he's going through. And he's not, he's not complaining. He's not angry, and he's not, it wasn't forced. He just did it because he loved me. So I think there was something in John that just thought, man, I'm not just John. I'm John that Jesus loves. I think, man, he, he loves me. I think he leaves that man. That, that guy loved me. Look, look at it. No greater love than someone lay down his life. So that's how he calls himself, the one that Jesus loved. And Mary said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put it. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb, and they were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter. Now listen, I, th I think John was a guy, human too, because he was like, he wanted to make sure we knew he was faster than Peter. Because that really didn't have anything to do with the story. He's like, by the way, I won. Anyway, um, but let's go to the next verse. He stopped and he looked in. He saw the linen wrap lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noted the linens wrap lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, see, he says it again, also went in. And he saw, he saw, and then it says this, he saw and he believed. For until then they hadn't understood that the, scripture, what, the, the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Listen, there was this time where all of a sudden it just hit him like, oh, you know what? He told us about this. And Mary, right after that, if you keep reading, Mary is still struggling like, where did they take his body? And then all of a sudden this man appears and starts talking to her, and then she realized it was Jesus, that he was alive. And then when you keep reading in John chapter 20, it says the disciples that night, the disciples are in, in the room, and the door's locked. It even says it. They're in a locked room, and Jesus appears. You know why? Because now he's with a resurrected body, same kind of body we're going to have when we rise to be with him. But he, he, he rose from the dead. He conquered it. He conquered death. He paid it. He paid it. And you know what? There's a lot of scriptures that people use. And there was a lot of times that people talked. Even Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. And we won't go ahead to fifth, uh, yeah, verse 3. 
It says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, and he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said. Can I just tell you? I've heard people in the past and different people that talk about their just questioning whether the resurrection was legit. Can I just tell you? It was legit. Jesus died and he rose. He rose again. That was the ultimate, that was the ultimate conquering of death. Remember we sang it, oh death, where's your sting? Great, where is it? You've you've lost. Where's your victory? Where's your sting? Jesus died and rose again. And I just want you to know that the Bible says in Romans uh, 10, verse 9, that for you to be saved, you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. We have to recognize that Jesus didn't go through this horrible death, and it stopped there. He went through it, and he conquered it, and then he came up alive. And he's with Jesus. He's, he's at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us. And we have life because of Jesus. If you want to celebrate something today, that's what you celebrate. That you have life. 